0: Mark chapter 6, we're going to look down in verses 7 through verse 13. And he called the 12 and began to send them out two by two. And he gave them authority over unclean spirits he charged them to take nothing for their journey except a staff, no bread, no bag, no money in their belts, but to wear sandals and to not put on two tunics. And he said to them, Whenever you enter a house, stay there until you depart from there. If any place will not receive you, they will not listen to you when you leave. Shake off the dust that is on your feet as a testimony against them. So they they went out and proclaimed that people should repent. And they cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and healed them. Let's start with a word of prayer. It is impossible for us, O Lord, to understand your word apart from the Holy Spirit. So, Holy Spirit, I need your power. We as a people need your illumination. And we desire to bring you glory. So God, help us to know how to live it, how to live the scriptures. In Jesus' name, amen. Last Sunday, we started in Mark chapter 6 here, and I got through one point. And you'll be happy to know I'm going to get through another point, And this has turned into a series. And the third point I'll share with you in two weeks. But as I studied last week, went through this chapter here, Mark chapter 6, I noticed a theme that was taking place in this chapter, and that was that Jesus was training his disciples. And so I titled this series, Jesus Takes His Disciples to School. So for three and a half years, Jesus taught his disciples, and they went from obscure, normal Jewish men to powerful preachers of the gospel. And so he called them to follow him. And what was it that he said that they were going to do? Follow me and I will make you fishers of men. So for three and a half years, he trained them to become the fishers of men that he wanted them to be. And Acts, the book of Acts actually details the history of the church. Or you might say it this way, the result of God's, Jesus Christ training these men. And these men taught with amazing knowledge of the Old Testament, but also with new doctrine that Jesus Christ taught them. They had an amazing ability to lead. Where did they, get, did they get this power from? Where did they get this knowledge from? Where did it come from? It came from Jesus Christ. It was his spirit he gave them to empower them. in the doctrine, the teachings that they taught, came from Jesus. And so part of the ministry of Jesus on this earth was training his disciples. His primary ministry was coming as a ransom for many. He defeated death and sin, and he went and proclaimed the gospel, repent and believe the gospel. He cast out demons. So he did all those things. And that was his primary reason he came to this world, to seek and to save those who are lost. But another part was his preparation and training of his disciples. 12 apostles and he said i will build my church and he used the 12 apostles to do this so the first course we looked at last week was hardship 101 jesus taught his disciples to endure hardship so we looked at that in chapter 6 those first six verses jesus taught them by example in the next 7 through 13 he taught them with a short mission trip and then he Use the real-life illustration of John the Baptist. The second course we're going to look at is Jesus taught them how to teach. Teaching, I'm going to call it Teaching 102. That's what happens in college, you know. (laughs) Teaching 102, the disciples learn to teach authoritatively. Notice what Jesus is called, or his title, that that people use for him over and over. When they see him, what do they call him? They call him Teacher, Rabbi. In fact, if you look down back in Mark chapter 4... Even on the sea, when the disciples are in distress, they cry out in Mark chapter 4, verse 38. What, what title do they use? Teacher. Don't you even care? In fact, if you look in Mark chapter 5 and verse 35, the messengers of Jairus, they say, hey, teacher. So over and over you see that the, the title that's used for Jesus by the common people were, was the title of teacher or rabbi. Why did they use this title? Because that's what he did everywhere Jesus went, Jesus taught. He would go into synagogues and he would open up the scriptures and he would teach. And he, yes, he healed. And yes, he cast out demons. But I, for my study, I couldn't find where Jesus was called a miracle worker or an exorcist or a healer, which is interesting, isn't it? Because actually over and over, people called him a teacher. He did all those things, but they called him a teacher. Why is that? Because when people saw him, they recognized that his primary ministry was teaching, was teaching about God. And I think it's important for us to remember, I've said this a number of times since I've been in this pulpit, but it's important for us to remember that a correct view of ministry cannot take, we cannot have a correct view of ministry without understanding correctly what, what should happen with God's word. And that is that we are here to proclaim the gospel through the word of God And Jesus modeled for these men for three and a half year what really the primary part of ministry is and that is a primary tool i should say primary tool of ministry and that is the word of god and i'm not gonna read all these passages but i think it's interesting as we just think through the book of Mark. just flip back with me to mark chapter 1 verse 14 just to think about this theme over and over if you see it when you read through the book of Mark, I don't know how many of you took me up on that offer to go through the entire book of Mark. But if you read through the entire book of Mark over and over and over, you see that Jesus is just teaching wherever he goes. Mark 1.14, he went and proclaimed or he taught the gospel of God. Mark 1.22, he entered 21 and 22. He entered Capernaum and went into the synagogue. And what was he doing there? He was teaching and they were astonished at his teaching look at mark one thirty-eight. he went throughout gallery sorry galilee preaching in their synagogues mark 2 verses 1 through 2 he went to capernaum again and what did he do he preached the word which was the old testament scriptures mark 2 13 he went i got about again at the end of that verse he was teaching them mark 3 1 he entered a synagogue what does he do when he goes to synagogues he's teaching mark 3 14 he sends his apostles to go out. And what are they doing? They're going to go out to preach. Or he's commissioning them to do that. Mark 4 verse 1. He began to teach by the seaside. Then we get to Mark chapter 6 here. And he goes into his hometown Nazareth. He goes in the synagogue. What does he do in Nazareth? He teaches. Go down to Mark 6. 6. They, they, he marveled at their unbelief. And he, then he went out. And what did he do in the villages? He was teaching. What was he doing from town to town? He was teaching the word of God. And I just want you to observe that his ministry was a ministry of teaching. In fact, look down in Mark 6, 7, and 8. He teaches his disciples. If you look at the end of verse 8 there, it says, that, or beginning of verse 8, he charged them, so he's teaching them, to do what? Look down in verse 11, to go to places. He says, if they won't listen to you, well, why are they listening to them? Because they're teaching And then you go down to verse 12, and it says that they went out and they did what? They proclaimed that people should repent. And where did they get this message from? Jesus, right? And I I could go through the rest of the book of of Mark here, the Gospel of Mark, and show you this. We're not going to have time to do that, but you kind of get the point. And, And I think that Jesus here intentionally, intensely, intensely trained his disciples, how to fish for souls. And what's the hook, if you want to say, that you use to fish for souls? It's the word of God. And I I think it's, I want to pause here to to consider something. And that is that these men, these disciples were probably in their late teens, some of them early twenties. These were young, young men. And what Jesus did is he saw these men and he saw an opportunity to train them for ministry. And I think it's so important for us to, to consider something like this, and I, I think about some of the children and then teens and then some of the young people that are in our church here, and as we look at them as older people, now some of you think I'm young, but as older people, as we look at those individuals in the church, and sometimes we can think of them as, oh, they're just the children, but we need to actually look at them as individuals who need to be trained for gospel ministry. And you say, oh, to be trained to be pastors? Well, my view of ministry is that life is ministry. Everyone should be ministering. And so we should be intensely, intentionally and intensely training disciples. And so it's so important for us as the older generation to look at the younger, younger generation and don't look at them and think, man, how, I'm, I already did. That. that was my life in the past. Like, I'm already done with that. I'm ready for my next. Like, actually, no, look at them and say, how can I invest in their lives and equip them for what God has for them? And if you're a young person in here, I just want to encourage you to To use your youth to invest your mind in your life to prepare for the life of ministry that God has for you. And I think that training for ministry, whether that be just in a church or maybe going to a Bible college or something like that, I think it can be so helpful. And there's two aspects of training for ministry. Notice what the two are here. Jesus teaches these men. And then what does he do? He trains them through experience. He sends them out. Honestly, in, in Mark chapter 6 here, when he sends them out, they do a lot of great things. But they, they weren't like the great experts, right? They weren't Jesus. I'm sure they made a lot of mistakes. And so the, one of the aspects of training was he gave them experience. I like to usually say it like this. Training through teaching should be deep, demanding, and dedicated. And by deep, I mean, and I, and I kind of speak, if I could say this, to the young people in here especially those or you maybe in your late teens or early 20s, like this is a time of your life when you need to dig your well of of knowledge as deep as possible. You know, through your life, you kind of get a, a shovel of the God's word, and you can, you know, should always be digging. But when you're a youth, actually God's given you the mental capacity, and if he has put people in your life, he's given you tools of those people to be able to kind of like use a backhoe, you know? And you can actually take an intense time of teaching. You can kind of dig your well deep. So I really encourage you in here, if you're training to be a pastor, you want to be a pastor, you have to do that. If you're just training to live a life of ministry, you should do that. You can only give people what you have. And so I encourage young men and women to dig your well deep now so that the rest of your life you can allow people to drink from the well of your knowledge and uh, and I know of, of young men and women who are my age, so I guess that's young, but that went off and just I want to conquer the world for Jesus Christ, you know. And they went off and did ministry. And I have a sister who's a missionary, and and you hear about those stories. And usually when they're about my age, they're going, I wish I would have spent more time digging my well deep, because then you r- run dry at some point, and you go, I, I wish I could have done that. And so let me just encourage you in that. And if you're and so I think it includes teaching, but also it includes experience. And that's why I'm just – I'm such a proponent of making sure that we're taking our young people and pushing them into serving opportunities. I mean, sometimes we can look at people and say, you know, especially young people, and be like, they're so young. <laughs> you know, it's like they're so young up here. You know, you see some of them serving, and you know, thinking, are thinking, are they out of high school? <laughs> you know? But it's actually so important to make sure we're giving opportunities for young people to have experience. And in some sense, you know, fail – you know, I think it's good. I failed a lot. I still do. <laughs> but it's good to learn from those experiences. And God has given us, I think it's amazing, actually, opportunity we have. Because we have a number of young people who have grown up in our church and are, are growing up in our church. We have people who have come from other parts of the country to be a part of our church. So we actually have, a, I think, actually a gift from God, a, an opportunity to invest in people's lives. People who are studying for ministry. Some who are in our church or were training for ministry. And, and invest. Let me just give you three tips, okay? For how can we as a church help people, not just people who are coming from other parts of the country here, but also young people in our church. Let me just say, first of all, invite some of these individuals to your home. I know I've said this a couple of times. When we were in college, Dane and I were in college, for about five years, at least five years, almost every Sunday, we were in the home of someone in our church. They invited us to their house. We didn't invite ourselves over. They invited us. That was, I can't even tell you how Transformational that was for us to see the gospel lived in people's lives. I don't know people don't really do that today. It's like, you know, my house is my but we're as Christians are supposed to be given the hospitality. So let me just encourage you, and I'm not just talking about college students in here, although there are some, I'm talking about even just young people that you see. Also, I think another one is treat them, treat young people, if you know, 18, 19, 20, 20s, early 30, early thirties, maybe even got to go into that. Treat them as adults. Can I encourage you in that? Treat them, treat them as adults. It was, it, you know, it probably took me to be about 40 years old till I stopped being called a child. Some people still do. But I remember this guy at the church that I was at in South Carolina. He was like, here's the, the child pastor, you know. <laughs> okay, well, at least I look young. It's not a big deal. But actually giving them responsibilities as adults and also making sure we're not denigrating them. And, and, uh, and it's hard, I know, especially when you're a number of years separate. And also pray for them. This is the next generation. You know what? We got. I got maybe another 30, 40 years of life, maybe shorter, maybe longer, who knows? Some of you are like, I got another 10, 20, who knows what you have. But there's going to be a lot of young people that are here in our service, and they're going to outlive us. And we need to invest in them for that. So I don't want to go on that all day. But the next one, teaching uh teaching with authority so teaching with authority first of all you can look at your first bullet point there teaching with authority meant they taught the old testament i don't think i need to go through this i think i've already talked about this before and that is jesus would go to a synagogue he would open the scriptures he would explain that he was actually the fulfillment of those those uh, scriptures also the the apostles would take then the the holy scriptures when they were in the book of acts there and you see them preaching the gospel and they're taking the, the news, the good news of Jesus. They're taking the teachings of Jesus. They're also taking the Old Testament. They come together and they preach the gospel. And God did some amazing things through the, the apostles and through the preaching that they did. In fact, you think about the book of Acts. All the people that were fed, all the people who were poor, that were were struggling, and how they were able to take care of those individuals. How the, the 3,000 people were able to be saved. I mean, just all that. And, and, the, and that was all started with Peter getting up and preaching the gospel. And it continued with the church gathering, or I should say the word of God, and also the gospel, and also the church gathering and learning the doctrine of the the apostles. There's a church in South Carolina that I was familiar with, and this church loved to do like different types of messages. And one of, the, one of them they did was called Saved by the Bell. Do you know what that is? They were trying to reach the X generation, Generation X, I guess. That's me. And uh, and so I grew up in the 1990s, I guess that's when that was, and watched that show. And it's interesting, like, to think about, I, I watched a couple of their series on on uh, the computer, and they were very very entertaining. They actually were very funny. I actually laughed all the way through them. But, you know, there's no power there. And what we do in the service is we're not trying to think of the next gimmick to get people to come here. We're not trying to – sometimes people look at this as old-fashioned, you know. Oh, we're just going to get up here and talk about God's word. How boring is that? You know, where's the smoke? Where's the mirrors? Where's the – all that kind of stuff? And – but but those kind of – that kind of um, approach to ministry actually is an improper approach because we are committed to the word of God. Listen to this from Martin Luther. Martin Luther in his last message – preached and he said something to this effect he said you are looking for the power of god in all the wrong places the power of god is in the scriptures so we're committed as a church to teaching the scriptures and then and then secondly teaching with authority meant not only that they taught the old testament but also it meant that they taught the revelation of jesus christ so look at go back with me to mark chapter 1 in verse 22, and if you remember this from a number of weeks ago, we taught on this. Jesus taught really for the first time uh, in the synagogue there. And he, the scriptures say that in verse 22, they were astonished at his teaching for he taught them as one who had authority, not as the scribes. Well, what's this talking about? Well, the scribes would get up and they might read the scriptures. And then they would say, well, Rabbi so-and-so says this about this passage. It could mean that. It could mean this, Rabbi so-and-so. It's a, and they had no authority. They just quote all these different people. It was a man-centered approach to, to speaking. And really wasn't about the Bible at all. It was about everyone's opinion. Then Jesus gets up. He reads, reads the scriptures. And he actually speaks as if God is speaking. He speaks with the authority of God himself. And this shocks people who has the ability to speak like directly for God. Like who can do that? Only the scripture do that. Right. That's what that's what these people thought that they were shocked. Well, who can do that? Jesus, because he's God. What's interesting to think about is this, that Jesus demonstrated to them that his words were authoritative, not just in how he spoke but also in what he did. In other words, if you listen to Jesus, you realize he spoke as if God was speaking, because God was speaking, but then he actually demonstrated that God was speaking through him. And how did he do it? Through miracles. In fact, I wrote this down in your uh, handout here. Jesus' authoritative deeds, thats his miracles, authenticated his authoritative message. Jesus proved his words were from God, ...when he performed the works of God. Do you get that? Why did Jesus do miracles? It was that his, his deeds authenticated, his miraculous deeds authenticated his authoritative message. And If you've ever been in school, you might have written a paper. And what do they want you to do when you write a paper? They want you to give sources, Right? Or maybe if you uh, are familiar with a newspaper, you read through an article, you're supposed to read through that. And at some point, they're supposed to tell you their sources. And if it's a newspaper article that says anonymous, yeah, it's kind of hard to verify if it's authoritative or not. Right. If they're writing about a certain topic and it's about NASA and they actually quote someone within NASA, you're like, oh, that's pretty authoritative. So what you see here with Jesus, it's kind of like he would teach and the footnote on his teaching was a miracle. How did you know that Jesus' works or words were from God? Well, it's because Jesus' works were only the works that God could do. I mean, if you can heal at will, if you can raise a 12-year-old girl from the dead, if you can command nature to stand still, which are only things God can do, therefore you speak with the authority of God. And so Jesus demonstrated that. And so the disciples learned to teach with authority. That meant that the disciples, they understood the Old Testament as under the interpretation of Jesus Christ. Jesus taught them that. But also, teaching with authority meant they were taught the revelation of Jesus Christ. So think about this. Jesus taught them things that were not taught in the Old Testament. They didn't contradict the Old Testament. They actually fulfilled the Old Testament. But Jesus taught new things. And there was a revelation that Jesus Christ revealed to them through those three and a half years. He taught them on a regular basis. And then the disciples went out, and they proclaimed the gospel of Jesus Christ. They taught, the Bible says, the apostles' doctrine. Where did they get that from? They got that from Jesus. In fact, the apostles then, with uh, either themselves or through uh, someone else, they inscripturated the teachings of Jesus in what we call the New Testament. So do you realize that? So the book of Mark, or gospel Mark we're reading right now, was written by Mark, an assistant of Peter. So the apostle Peter had commissioned Mark to... And scripturate the teachings of jesus Does that makes sense so when we go through the new testament what you're reading isn't a bunch of ideas of people that are like oh let's let's put this down and see what this makes sense they're actually putting down the teachings of jesus you don't in the new testament you don't have new ideas you have the ideas that jesus taught passed on and then were written down and then the same way that God or Jesus Christ authenticated his message was from God, was the same way the apostles did as well. Look down in verse 7 in Mark chapter 6. He says, and he called the 12, began to send them out two by two. He gave them authority over unclean spirits. If you go to Matthew chapter 10, you can see that he also gives them authority over sickness and, and over death. He got, they actually raised people from the dead. And go down to verse 12, so they went out and proclaimed That people should repent. Where did they get that message from? From Jesus. In verse 13, they cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and healed them. In the parallel passage in Matthew, Matthew records for us that they healed the sick. They raised the dead. They healed. They cleansed lepers. They cast out demons. These were public things that people could see. This wasn't like, you know, I got a stomach ache, you know, be healed in the name of Jesus Christ. Oh, my stomach ache is gone, you know. No, these were actually things like someone's actually dead, right? And he raises them, they raise them from the dead. And everything they taught was exa- what Jesus taught. And the power they have is the power that was directly given to them from Jesus by the Holy Spirit. And so in, according to Mark chapter 6, verse 30, it, seemed, it worked. They did those things. They did the works of of Christ. And so so the the question I think we have in a setting like this is, so when you preach Ben, should you be doing miracles to authenticate that this is God's word? Like, do miracles like this happen today? Or is God giving us new revelation today? Some Christians claim today that they have revelation from God. I talked to someone in the community this past week, and this person's kind of idea was, well, you know, if God speaks to me other ways other than the Bible. And so God communicates to me. And Or some people claim, well, you know, they can, I, they can raise the dead. I saw someone get raised from the dead or heal the sick or whatever. So what I, what I want to do this morning is to take a couple minutes. I think as a shepherd, as, as a pastor of the Church of Shepherd, it's good for me to help shepherd you through some of these issues that are taking place in our world. And just particularly when you read this passage right here, you might automatically think like, okay, why is Pastor Ben not, you know, putting his head on people's you know, his hand on people's head and smacking them upside the head and then falling over and then being healed or everything. Like, why are we not doing this here? So I want to, first of all, let you know that I don't think there's new revelation taking place today. OK, Jesus Christ is not meeting with us and passing on anything new to us. We'll talk about that. And, uh, and then I'll talk about what God uh, can, is, uh, is doing in our world. So I'm gonna look at five marks of true miracles. That's why I gave you the handout, because there were so many verses that I'm like, you know, it's probably better for you just to have it, and that way you can take it home with you. So, mark number one of a true miracle. Number one, the purpose of miracles was to authenticate that the teachings of Jesus were from God. Why did Jesus and the apostles do miracles? Well, one reason Jesus did miracles is because he's the creator God. I mean, he was the one that spoke the world into existence. So He kind of can't help it, you know, he sees people who are sick and it's like, or, or, or have needs. And he just automatically just takes care of him because he's a loving, restoring God. But specifically, what was the purpose for him doing it? Because think about it. He was 30 years old. He didn't actually start doing miracles till he was 30. You know, there's some people out there that think, oh, when he was a child. No, the Bible never says anything about that. So, and his miracles started when he started going out to preach the gospel. And so the purpose of miracles was to authenticate the teachings, his teachings were from God. Okay, I'm going to go down to John chapter 10. If you look at your sheet, you don't have to turn there in your Bibles. You can just look at your sheet. If you want to turn your Bible, you can. The purpose of the miracles was to prove that the new revelation that they were presenting was from God. So John chapter 10, verse 37 on your sheet says, if I am, this is Jesus speaking to the Jewish people, if I am not doing the works of my father, then don't believe me. Don't believe the words, my teaching. But if I do them, in other words, if my works are from God, I mean, if it's obvious, like only a person that's from God can do that, then though you don't believe my words, believe me. Believe the works that you may know and understand. Why should they believe the works that they may know and understand that the Father is in me and I am in the Father? The purpose of Jesus doing miracles, Jesus was saying, is so you can realize my message is from God. So, Peter also preached, and if you look down your sheet, um, Acts chapter 2, Peter was preaching, he said the exact same thing. He said, Men of Israel. In Acts 2.22, men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested or proved, he was proved in his message to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs. I mean, that's raising dead people, healing, casting out demons, that God did through him in your midst, as you know. So what was the purpose of Jesus doing miracles? It was to say, these are the works of God, because these, these these are the words of God. And I'm demonstrating it through the works, the works of God. Look down your sheet as well. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul said he was an apostle. Now, before we go into this, remember what apostle is. There was 13 apostles. Paul was one of those apostles. An apostle is someone who saw the resurrected Christ. An apostle is someone who was directly taught by Christ. And so they had the authority. Apostles had the authority to speak and communicate the revelation of Jesus. So look down in 2 Corinthians 12, 12. It says the signs of true apostles were performed among you with uttermost patience. What were those signs? They were signs of wonders and miracles and mighty works. How could Paul prove that his revelation about, from, was from Jesus? Wasn't just something he made up. Wasn't just something he came up with. But actually, Jesus Christ. Well, Jesus. he was an apostle, which means he saw Jesus. When did he see Jesus? on the road to Damascus. And then also he went to Arabia. It was taught personally by Jesus. And so he was saying here, he's saying, I, you can know that I'm a truly an apostle because I've done these signs that demonstrate that the words that I'm saying are from God. Look down in Romans chapter 15, verses 18 through 19. He says the same thing here. We read this this morning. Uh, Ken read this this morning. Verse 18 and 19. Paul says I, that I, Paul, will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience by word. Those are the words of Christ. Indeed, those are the miracles. So Paul's preaching came from Christ. How was that proved? By signs and wonders by the Spirit of God. So this, and look down in Hebrews chapter 2. They say this again. The writer of Hebrews says, How shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? It was first declared by the Lord. So the, the, the idea that the gospel... Uh, of Jesus Christ was declared by the Lord and then it was attested to by those who were heard those apostles while God also bore witness how did God prove that their message was from God well they did the works of God by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will the, the public miracles they did remember these are public miracles showed and proved that their words were from God. So the purpose of miracles was to authenticate the revelation of Jesus was from God. So do I need to be up here and say, hey, this is God's word, so let me do a sign. Can you want to come up on stage? Just kidding. But you, do I need to do that today? No. In fact, actually look down in, in John chapter 20 in verse 30 and 31. How do we know that what we're, that how can I teach up here with authority? Well, this passage, John says, now Jesus, in verse 30, Jesus did many things, I'm sorry, he did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. In other words, there's a lot of things that Jesus did that we don't know about because they weren't written down. But these are written. In other words, the Gospel of John, but particularly the the revelation of Jesus Christ given to us by the apostles. These were written. Why? So you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. John wrote that we have the words of Christ here. That's the New Testament why do we have the new testament why do we have the words of christ so we will believe and so that we can have life in the name of jesus christ my point is there's there's no need for preachers like me today to do miracles because we have the words of the apostles who already proved it and so we have the authoritative words of god now if i get up here and i start saying things that aren't in the bible i don't have the authority to say that my authority only comes from the holy scriptures Paul said in 2 Timothy chapter 3 that all Scripture is breathed out by God through the Holy Spirit. And so I know what's right. I know what's wrong. I know how to make things right. I know how to continue in righteousness, according to that passage, because I have the authoritative Scriptures. And I don't need to do those miracles today to authenticate the authority that was already done by Jesus, then his holy apostles. And some people today think, well, I need... I need to have direct revelation from God. I need God to, to speak to me. And so you have things out there like different uh, false uh, teachers and religions that believe that, you know, they a receiving revelation. You have different books that have been written, like the Book of Mormon. And people say, well, that's a, that's a re- new revelation from Jesus Christ. And I won't go into this whole thing. But number one, if the revelation that someone receives counters the scriptures, like if what Jesus says here counters what <laughs> that says, then it's false. But also there's no need for you to have that because we have everything we need in here to believe in jesus in fact i was reading a story about a young lady who was uh from canada and this is a story from the uh, the 19th century and her father worked on the railroad and it was late one night and uh her father was away and he wasn't around and it was late at night and it was storming it's a true story and you can read about it but, anyways, uh, there was, it was a railroad. The railroad went right by her. And since her father worked for the railroad, she understood everything about the railroad. And, uh, and it, was, it was storming one night. And she saw that part of the railroad was out. And she knew the timing of all the, the trains that came. And she realized that the, the train was going to come down. There was probably going to be about two or 300 people on this train. It was going to come and it was going to go over the edge of this because the, the, the storm had taken out part of the, the section of the railway. And she realized that a lot of people were going to die. And nobody knew about it there was no way to communicate we're not having cell phones back there in the 19th century and so she realized it was up to her to get to one of the stations and make sure they warn the train that that, that, that was going to happen and otherwise these people were going to die and so this girl she 's fifteen years old she 's wearing a dress and it's pouring rain she gets up on the tracks and she crawls the opposite direction towards where the train's coming at her by the way and and it's, the rain is beating down. It's dark at night. She's in a dress, keeps snagging. And back then, how they built the train tracks, they were actually not made of wood, so people couldn't walk up there. They're made of metal. So she's slipping, and she's trying to crawl on this thing. Eventually, she makes it to the station, and she gets out and you know, goes into there. And these, there's two men in there, and they're shocked. They're like, what's this 15 year old girl doing outside? And she says, the, the, the track is out. Well, they don't believe her at 1st like, why would we believe you? You know, It's like, you know, little, young girl, that's not true. And, and they had some reasons for that. But then this girl says, no, my dad works for the railroad. And she said her dad's name. And the men said, we believe you. They stopped the train and 200 people were saved. And I'd tell that story, I think about it this way. And that is that she gave them revelation, right? Now, these men could have said, you know what? We need to verify all this, you know? So we're actually going to go down the tracks and we need to receive, you know, and if they had more time, it might be the case. But actually, she gave them everything they needed to save those people's lives, right? All the revelation that they needed to be able to to put a lantern up and say, stop, so the train would stop and those people wouldn't die, they had. And the same thing is true of the scriptures. I mean, you don't need more revelation from God. You have it in the scriptures here. The scriptures are written for you so you will believe in Jesus Christ. And so, therefore, you might want more revelation, but he's not going to give it to you. He gave it to his holy apostles. They wrote it down. And also, there's no reason for you to need it. Okay, so I'm kind of going over time here, aren't I? So let's keep going. So second, next, second purpose, or second point here, the purpose of miracles was not to persuade people to follow Christ. In other words, Jesus and then the apostles didn't go into a town and say, okay, abracadabra, poof. Okay, now believe. That was not what they were doing. They weren't going into towns and doing magic And say, now you see the magic, you know, do a little circus here, and now pray a prayer and follow me. That's not what Jesus Christ was doing. When they went into a town, they preached the word, and the word was what was the tool that Jesus Christ used to pierce the hearts of people. And and yes, they did miracles, and they did those things. But that just authenticated the word was true. They didn't use miracles to persuade people. In fact, Jesus, you can look, uh, get in your sheet there and look at one of the passages we have in Luke 16. Jesus gives this illustration to the the Pharisees, kind of a slap in the face. And he's the illustration of a story of Lazarus. Remember Lazarus, the, the story of the rich man that went to hell and Lazarus went to heaven. And the rich man's in hell and he's screaming out. And he says, my five brothers are back on earth and they need to repent if you have Lazarus rise from the dead like surely those guys would then repent. Like if they had a sign that was really awesome, like resurrection, someone they knew, Lazarus would rise from the dead. Surely they would believe, but look at him, Luke chapter 16 in your sheet there and verse 29, but Abraham, God's spokesman spoke back to this rich man. He says, they have Moses and the prophets at the old Testament, let them hear them. And he said, no father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. And he said to him, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. So what did Abraham, as God's representative, say was the tool to convince the unbelieving Jewish people? Was the word of God. In fact, 30 years after Jesus' resurrection, the Jewish people were still saying that. If you Look down on your sheet, you can see 1 Corinthians 1.22 says, Jews demand a sign. Those are miracles. Like, give us the sign. In fact, they even went to Jesus. Like, Jesus, if you give us a sign, we'll believe in you. And he says, he said, no, no, no. Greeks seek wisdom. But Paul says, what does he preach? We preach Christ crucified, the message of the gospel. So number three, the purpose then of miracles also was not to provide a person with a comfortable life of health and wealth. Jesus nor his apostles ever performed miracles to make themselves or anyone else Rich, go to Mark chapter 6 and look at your passage there. Look at verse 10. He said to them, whenever you enter a house, stay there until you depart from there. Why do you think that is? When the apostles were to go into a town there, why do you think he said, stay in the house that you're in? Well, you go into a town and you're preaching the word and you authenticate it through miracles. And maybe you're staying in a poor person's house at the very beginning. And then as time goes on, some of the people that are richer are like, hey, stay with us. You know, and this guy offers you his house. and. He has a lot of food. He has a pool. He has some gardens. You're like, this is going to be a lot of fun, right? What's the temptation? Is that you do the miracles so you can up your status in the city, right? And you say, no, no, no. That's not the reason that you should do miracles. Jesus instructed them, don't allow material possessions to motivate you. In fact, if you look down on your sheet again, Matthew chapter 10, verse 8, Jesus says, you're going to heal the sick. You're going to raise the dead. Cleanse lepers. Cast out demons. You received without payment, give without pay. In other words, don't take money from people because you do miracles. It's not an exchange thing. I'll heal your son, you give me some money. And isn't it interesting that those who claim to perform miracles a day are super wealthy, right? These people are just lucrative in their business, if you want to say it. They lay hands on the screen, they have a Number on the screen, and you uh, call the number and give them some money. And, of course, they'll heal you in the process of that, right? That's what, they, that's what they claim. But the scripture is clear that no one should receive money for doing miracles. So when you see that happening on TV and all that, and if they're asking for money, they want some kind of money from that, listen, you can know those people are false teachers. There's some other reasons they're false teachers, but that's one of them that says that. And, and, it's, and the scriptures are clear that we should support gospel ministry, the, the preaching and teaching of the word. That's definitely clear. But as far as miracles go, Jesus was clear. That is not something that should be happening. Another example is Acts 8. You can look at your sheet on that one, the back side of your sheet. There was a man named Simon, and he was a miracle worker. So that's what he did. He went to town, towns, and he would do some miracles, some magic. Or not miracles, magic. And he was an unbeliever. And uh, he did it for money. And then he saw what Peter was doing. He's like, yeah, get me in on that one. And you look looked at Max Acts chapter 13 and seeing signs and great miracles performed. Simon was amazed. He said, give me this power also. And Peter said, may your silver perish with you because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. He's saying, may you go to hell with your money is what he's saying. And, and when you see people on TV that are doing that, asking for money, or even maybe in real life, listen, that's the condemnation that God has upon them. There's a man named Benny Hinn, who is probably one of the most prolific uh, false teachers in regard to this right here. He travels the world. It's So d- sad what he does. He uh, collects more than 200. read this article. He collects more than $200 million a year. he's admitted that at least half his salary is half a million. He has a private jets and he's a 10 million million dollar house. It's interesting. He claims to have the power to heal, but he has atrial fibrillation. He's had that for 20 years. In fact, he went to the doctor a couple uh, hospital a couple years ago because he had a problem. So it's, it's interesting. I'll, I can heal you of your disease, but he can't heal himself. The purpose of miracles was not to provide a person with a comfortable life and, and have health and wealth. That, that's the modern message today. And you say, why are you talking about this? Because this is everywhere in Christianity. This is everywhere. It's kind of like the idea is if you just have enough faith, God will, will give you a healthy body and he'll give you a lot of money. And give us some money too. Of course, that's what people also kind of throw in there. But that's actually not the gospel. That's not the gospel. And if healing and miracles were, were to make your life comfortable and healthy and wealthy, then why did that not happen with Paul the Apostle? Why didn't it happen with Timothy. I mean, in fact, Paul writes Timothy and says, take a little bit of wine or the medicinal wine for your stomach's sake. So he has some kind of stomach issue. Isn't it interesting? Paul didn't say, be healed in the name of Jesus Christ. No, well, if it was about discomfort, Paul had some kind of difficulty as well. And God said, actually, that is a way to I'm de- demonstrating my grace to you. And you can depend on me more. You know, I think about Acts chapter seven, Stephen is stoned, right? They take stones, they kill him. And the Christians go out. And they take his body. What do they do with it? They bury it. Well, why didn't they raise him back from the dead? Poor guy, he died. Let's raise him back from the dead, right? And God sometimes did that. Don't get me wrong. But there's no guarantee that that was something that he was going to do. That was the purpose was not for a comfortable life. In fact, in Matthew chapter 10, you can look at your sheet. It says this, Matthew 10, 38. Jesus says, whoever does not take up his cross. That's pain, by the way. And follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. In other words, if you're like, Jesus said this, you try to gain the whole world, I just want to be healthy. I just want to have all this money. I want to have my jets and my houses. If you try to gain the whole world, what are you going to lose? Your soul. He says, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Like actually, it's giving up everything and finding that the most valuable thing in this world is God himself. He is enough. One of the most, one of the saddest recent examples is this past February, a couple weeks ago. There's a faith healer called Alfu Lukau. I don't even know if I said his name right, but he's from Southern Africa. He's estimated his estimated net worth is one billion dollars. And you know, I just want to say this. I was reading um, something from uh, from David Platt. Uh, he's a pastor, and he was saying that half of the Christians in america believe in the the idea of the prosperity gospel which is that if you have enough faith god will give you what you want so you can have a happy wealthy healthy life but he also said this he said 96 percent of people who say they're christians in nigeria believe this 82 percent of christians in who claim to be christians in india say they believe this that is a false gospel and it's so so sad and this one of the one of the worst uh, examples, I should say, of this was is this Alf, Alf Lukua. I don't even know how to say his name. But I want to. Sh- what I want to do is I want to show you a video, and this might be a little disturbing for you, but I think this would be a good example of this is what this is what happened a couple weeks ago, and and since this happened, uh, three um, funeral companies have come out and said they were manipulated and lied to by this man, and. Um, in fact, there's actually this government's investigating it and some of other things that happened around it. But um, but let me just show this video to you and then we'll I'll comment kind of as we're going through it here. This is this is a video of what he he claims happened uh, a couple of weeks ago in his church. I just pulled this off of YouTube. Hey, you are living here with a minimum of seven. Outstanding miracles. Look at this! I just say that, and I see another wheelchair coming up. I just say that another wheelchair coming up. Begin to claim your miracle. Claim your miracle. Your marital life will never be the same again. Never the same. Your family will never be the same. He went outside here. He claims there's a guy that's been dead for a couple days. This is a need. You are Hey! 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 Jesus! Hey! Never I don't know about you. But that's disturbing. I don't know about you, but that's disturbing. The reason I show that to you is because. That is prolific in our culture, in our Christian culture. It's seeping into our churches. Isn't it interesting that lady up there was doing the mic? She, she, they can heal, they can raise someone back from the dead, but they can't work, they get their mics to work. You know, and it's like, and she says, "Never seen before." Well, I, obviously, you don't believe the Bible. So that's why you're doing that, because Jesus actually rose from the dead. <laughs> you know, and it's so sad to see something like that and and those those people over there are just being swindled and so i think when you look at that it should cause us to really just weep for those people because they're led astray in the name of jesus in fact one of the one of the pastors in the area there that was condemning it said if if he has the power if he has the power to resurrect someone can he go to Nelson Mandela's grave and resurrect Nelson Mandela like that would be great to have him come back right and so it's not about your comfort. It's not about your health and wealth. Verse, number, number four, the miracles of Jesus and the apostles were 100% immediate, undeniable, and effective. Like they healed at will. And it was public in front of everyone to see. And you can see a couple of verses about that. Number five, any special providential work today is a demonstration of God's mercy. The teaching of much of this, this faith healing faith kind of uh, health and wealth type of gospel the idea is that if you have enough faith in god then you can get god will give you what you want but that's actually the exact opposite of the gospel but the, the gospel says repent and believe give everything up for jesus and like i said earlier the treasure you get is god god is enough and any kind of and any kind of work of God that he does in our midst, and any kind of work of God he does in this world that's a special work of, of providence and a special supernatural work is just a demonstration of his mercy. In other words, you can't try to get something from God, no matter what it is in life, frankly. like Anything God gives us is just completely upon his mercy. I do believe God can work in amazing ways. I believe God can provide in amazing ways. I could believe God uh, frees people of demonic oppression today. I believe that God can advance the gospel in ways that are abundantly above all that we could ask or think. You know, the question people ask is, you know, can God heal my sister? Can God heal my father? Can God can do anything he wants to do. He's God, right? But we have to understand there's a difference between what God can do and what and what happened in the New Testament and with Jesus and the apostles and the, the pattern that we see with them. And I just want me say this kind of too. When you you read the Gospels and the book of Acts, what you're seeing is a description of what Jesus Christ did for us, not a prescription of what you should do. Does that make sense? In other words, when you see the transfiguration, it's not like we should read that and go, oh. Let's go to the mountain and hopefully Jesus will appear to us and be transfigured. Well, no, it's just describing something and you can totally get something from that. Don't get me wrong. Like you totally can get principles from that and, and trust Jesus through that, like it can see it. But you got to remember that when you see something like this in Mark chapter six, where it says this is what they did. You automatically say, oh, can I can I have Pastor Ben go raise my my per, this person from the dead? Can, can I have Pastor Ben put his hands on me and heal me of this sickness? Well, that's not the purpose of what they were doing there. We have the authoritative word of God. Can God do amazing things? Yes. And I, I know he can do it because his word says he can, and he has done it. And I'm not going to, I don't have time to get into this. Sometime maybe I'll teach on this. There's a difference between God's miraculous work and his providential work. A lot of times what we call miracles are actually just God's amazing providence. You know, it's like you're driving down the street. Your car flips five times. You know, the airbags come out and you, you know, flip a co- over a couple of trees and, and you are able to walk out. And we say, It's a miracle. Well, a miracle probably, actually, is your car flips over, it's about to hit a bridge, and it passes through the bridge. That's actually a miracle, right? Because it's actually overcoming supernatural or na- the natural means by supernatural powers. So I could talk about that. But my point is, is that God does, if you want to say it in our lingo today, he can do miraculous things. <laughs> he can do amazing things. I know it. He can do it. I think about, but I think generally we need to think about it like this. If Let's look, just look down in your paper there, 2 Corinthians 5, verses 4 and 5 says that we have this tent and we groan. In other words, the tent is our bodies and we're burdened and we're burdened. And we, we desire not to be unclothed, like we still want a body, but we want to be further clothed. In other words, every one of us in here have pains and aches, right? It's actually not a bad thing. It helps us remember there's something better for us in the future. It's called heaven. It's called glory. It's called a new body. In fact, we have the spirit of God within us. That's the guarantee that we have in the future. And if God improves something materially and physically in your life now, that's awesome. And it's just a kind demonstration that God wants to show you some mercy. You don't deserve it. You can't earn it. You're not going to buy it. It's God's mercy upon you. In fact, that happened if you look down in your paper again, Philippians chapter 2. Epaphroditus, that happened to him. And he was near death. He was about to die. And what does it say there? God had mercy on him. Isn't that great that God had mercy on him? I've seen that in people that I've... Then by their bedside, I've prayed over them. I've seen God have mercy and the person should have died. I think of a gentleman that was like in the hospital for a year. I don't know how that guy lived. God did something amazing. He did something amazing. and I don't. And, but all, I can look at it and I go, I, I know it wasn't because anything I did. <laughs> Nothing because of what he did. God just decided to show him mercy and it was according to his will. And it was an amazing, if you want to say it in our lingo, it was an amazing miracle that God did in his life. So I think it's good to pray for those things. I think it's good to ask God for those things, but always having a biblical mindset. And that is, we, this is not our home. We're just passing through. Our desire is not to set up our utopia in America or wherever you want to move to, right? And here is where you want to stay. But it's not the idea is we're, we're going to set up a utopia someday. I want to have a perfect uh, health and life and wealth. Actually, all those groanings in our life help us realize that we're, there's something more to come. We're to count our trials as joy because we get to depend upon the Lord more and grow in faith in him. Okay, so I kind of went on that. But my, my conclusion is this. And that is that Jesus taught his disciples to teach authoritatively. They taught authoritatively taking Jesus' words and then demonstrated it with the power of Jesus. And today... We take Jesus' words from the New Testament and of course the Old Testament are the words of God as well, and we teach them authoritatively by the power of the Spirit and seeing God work in that way. And the question we have to ask ourselves as believers in Jesus Christ is when we when we think about the words of Jesus in the New Testament and then also the Old Testament, the words of God, do we submit our life to it as if our lives to it as if it is truly God's word? We must base our view of this world completely upon his authoritative scriptures. And also I think that I want to again have us just warn us and guard our hearts against this this temptation that we have to have this Christian hopefully utopia on this earth and even for our own life and just the longing for that. But make sure that our hearts and our minds are having a correct view of God and that is that God has that for us in the future. In this world we groan to be further clothed and we we had to watch out and be careful the temptation to worship money and health and prosperity above god we're to seek first what the kingdom of god and his righteousness and what all these things will be added to you like listen those things are important okay health physical your physical well-being your finances god does care about it but number one god cares about his kingdom He cares about this right here. So let's make sure our focus is on God, what God is doing within us and within the hearts of people, and trust God that he can provide. If God wants to heal, he can heal. We can pray. We can trust. We can see God do amazing things. But we need to have a correct view of God as we stand upon the authority of the scriptures. Let's pray. Lord, there's a lot that we covered today, but I will come back to this and say, Lord, we as a church commit ourselves to the word of God. We are completely lost if we depend upon our own thinking. The heart is deceitful above all things. It's desperately wicked. Who can know it? I can't even know my own heart without your Holy Spirit, without your word helping me understand and I, we can't live this life without that. We need to allow the words of Christ to dwell in us richly with all wisdom. And we need the spirit of God to fill us and control us. And so God, as a, as a church, as a body of Christ, that's what we want this week. We want to we live as your church in this community. We want the words of Christ to, to dwell within us. We want to live by your, the power of the Holy Spirit. I do think, God, that, that power... That was shown through the resurrection of people from the dead to heal people. That's amazing. But what's uh, even more amazing is that same power is at work within us through the Holy Spirit. We have resurrection power within us through the Holy Spirit. And we, uh, we can be enslaved to sin. We can be beaten down by this world. And sometimes, God, we just groan. We want it to be, all be over. But God... You have a plan for us still. For me to live is Christ. So help us as believers in here, help us to live for you this week and look forward to the future because to die is gain because we get to be with you forever. Give us a proper perspective of life and our world and of you. And I pray for anyone in here, God, who maybe has believed a false theology, a false doctrine, a false gospel I pray, God, you will convert them, help them come to Christ today. In Jesus' name.